You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Be finding your place, if you will, in Matthew 27. And while we're doing that, I'm going to ask if uh, Brother Barnes, if you would just slip up here real quick. I'd like to introduce you, or at least have you introduce yourself. And if you want to have your family stand, you can have them come up here and stand behind you or whatever you'd like to do. But to introduce yourself, and uh, Brother Barnes is with us throughout the day. He'll be preaching for us tonight. You want to be faithful uh, to the house of God all day long, if you would, please, all right? Yeah, Brother Barnes. I am uh, Greg Barnes, missionary to Argentina out of the Hillcrest Baptist Church in El Paso, Texas, and have with me today my dear wife Carla of almost 29 years of marriage, and our three youngest of eight children, uh, Jared in the middle, Nathaniel, and then Miriam, and we are so uh, blessed and pleased to be here with you all this morning, and please pray for us, the Barnes family, as we go back to Argentina in a week from this Wednesday. Thank you. I'm always blessed when we can have a missionary family with us. Uh, I know the Great Commission is that this congregation's responsibility is to carry the gospel around the world, and that's the same with every congregation in the world. It's their responsibility to do so, but how are we going to do that unless somebody, God calls somebody, and a church sends them out, and uh, then they get support. So, it's, uh, they're a blessing to me whenever we have missionaries come through, and, and uh, make sure you get around and talk to them. They've got a table back here, some prayer cards, I believe, that are placed on there, and you'll want to visit with them a little bit. Been uh, very, very faithful in the field of Argentina, and they'll share a little bit more of that with us tonight. So back in your Bibles, in uh, Matthew 27, <clears throat> just hold your place there, if you will. And then if I could have your attention, I want to share with you a story that many of you have heard me share with you already, and um, that would be um, back when I was in Franklin, Ohio, their first church was in a little house. Um, There's a lot of folks probably have uh, attended church starting in a house, I'm guessing. And I remember this little house, it faced the west, and it was tiny, and but it was where our congregation met, and, uh, and I, 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 that's all I thought church was. Uh, and I loved our, our little uh, house church. I think um, they had the living room uh, there, and they had walls busted out. I think I sat over in the kitchen, <laughs> what was the kitchen, and was watching the, the message. But we had a revival service, and if you're not familiar with what revivals are, an evangelist will come in, he'll preach his heart out, share the gospel, and hopefully get some folks saved, and maybe the saved get revived and encouraged and challenged in the Lord. And man, this guy's heart was tender, and he was was so uh, desirous for souls to be saved. And I don't remember who the family was that were able to get their two older boys to come to the service. Uh, The best I could tell at my age, and I was probably 12, 10, 12 years old at the time, these guys looked like they might have been 18 to 20-ish years old two brothers, and you could tell when they walked in, this was the last place they wanted to be, was in church. And they, uh, so they walked in, and and the mom and the dad slid slid in the row, and they put them on the outside of the row. Easy access to the aisle, amen. Um, And so, man, the preacher was preaching, and as you 
if you've ever heard the old song, uh, the preacher firmly plowed the gospel plow, uh, he did. And his heart was tender, and he was pleading for souls to be saved that day. And, and I, we stood for the invitation, and I remember that. And it's almost like everybody in that little church knew these couple of guys needed to be saved. It seems like we'd been praying for them or something, and it's been so long ago I don't remember all those details. But what I vividly remember is this, that when they gave the invitation, both those boys stood up, and I thought they were going to rip the top of the pews right off. I mean, gripping the pew and their hands going back and forth uh, and kind of shuffling back and forth and uncomfortable and all those things. And I knew this is one of those times where you just knew everybody was praying for those two young guys to get saved. And then it happened. They both stepped out into the aisle and it was, uh, it was a happy, sad moment. The first one stepped out in the aisle and went down to the altar. His brother stepped out right behind him and turned around and went out the back door. So one of those bittersweet moments for uh, the parents. And I remember being so torn myself just uh, as a young man, having seen, uh, you know, just a, a real live image of what it was like for somebody to do what the Bible says when it says to repent. To repent simply means that I turn from going in the direction I was going and I'm going to head toward Christ. I, I want God. I choose God in my life. I want the Lord to change me. And that young man, when he stepped out in the aisle, turned his back on his old life and went toward the Lord. The other young man said, I'm not about to give it up. I don't know the rest of the story, which uh, I don't know what happened to the other young man. I don't know if he ever got saved later on in life. I just, I don't think I ever saw him again. But what a, for me, it's always been a vivid picture of what it was like for somebody to decide, I need to get saved. And they turn to the Lord. I hope everybody here knows Christ as your Savior. I, I hope it's a, it's a well-known fact in your heart that you're saved and on your way to heaven. Anybody want to say amen to that? I'm saved. It's exciting to me that I know I've received Christ as my Savior. But this is definitely one of those passages that it's not maybe quite like two young men in a church that are turning and one goes down the altar and one doesn't. But in the story that we're reading today, you find a man who, though he repented, still died and went to hell. It's a very sad story. And if you look with me in Matthew 27 now, we are in um, this uh, brand new chapter now. And uh, you'll remember back in chapter uh, 26, uh, Peter denies Christ, turned away from the Lord, and then the, the, the rooster crowed, remember the story, and then his heart broke, and he went out and wept bitterly. Now, he was already a Christian at the time, but he repented of that sin and made his heart right with God, and, and, uh, and then God used him tremendously after that. But we still have another repentance to look at in these two chapters, and it's found in these first 10 verses. Follow along. The Bible said in verse 1, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him uh, to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, why would they do that if they've already condemned him, condemned him to die? Why not take care of the job? All right, we'll figure that out here in just a moment. So they brought him to Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, 
When he saw that he was condemned, here's another repentance, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, uh, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? That doesn't mean anything to me. That's what they're basically saying. See thou to that. that you, you take care of that. It's not on our shoulders. Verse 5. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury. I'm going to have you hit the pause button there right at that comma. It's not lawful to put them into the treasury. Now, wait a minute, guys. I mean, if we had a minute to talk to these guys, you're wanting to talk about what's lawful. I mean, last night you just tried a guy contrary to your own law. And I don't remember how many laws of your own that you were willing to break just to get Jesus to be condemned. And now you're trying to tell us it's not lawful to put these 30 pieces of silver back into the treasury. Uh, and, And it's very absurd. Follow along. Because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. They put a price on his head, as if you could come up with a price that Jesus was worth. Verse 10, And gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. Still quoting that prophecy. Let me have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the message. Thank you, Lord, for the the privilege, and then I would even say the deep responsibility to take uh, the Word of God and to preach it this morning. I pray that the Spirit of the Lord might be upon me. I pray that the power of God would anoint me as I preach today. I pray that every person here this morning would take very seriously the subject of their salvation. And God, if it's possible, somebody is here this morning who doesn't know you as Savior. May you deal with that heart today May they know what it really does mean to repent, to turn to Christ for their salvation today. We would ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to title the message today, The Danger of Repenting Like Judas. The Danger of Repenting Like Judas, the way he repented. In chapters 26 and 27 that we've been very detailed about in chapter 26 and now chapter 27, There are two men, uh, other than Christ, who are highlighted. Let me talk to you about these men. These men have remarkable similarities. If you would look at them and put them side by side or watch their life, very similar in many ways. And I've I've stated this in a previous message. Both these men walked alongside of Jesus for over three years. They both saw every miracle that he performed. Both men saw him demonstrate power over nature. If you remember his disciples uh, running up to him in the boat, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Our boat is overflowing. We're about to, we're going to die. And he stands up and he says, where was your faith, guys? And he looks out over the waters and says, peace, be still. And the raging storm, I mean, just stopped. Just like a sheet of glass. 
They saw him demonstrate power over thousands of demons. I remember the maniac of Gadara and other places where there were multiple demons in men or little children in some cases and how the power of Christ could do what man could not ever do. And those demons were cast out and the men would fall to the ground foaming at the mouth and yet then they would sit back up and be in their right mind for the first time in who knows how long. Both these men, along with the other disciples as well, watched this great Jesus do all these things. Um, They saw him demonstrate his mighty power over the diseases that people would have. A, A woman with an issue of blood for many, many years of her life just touches the hem of his garment And uh, the Bible says that uh, the disease was stanched or the blood dried up. She was healed instantly. Many people saw him do unbelievable things. Uh, They saw maniacs turn into loving daddies who could now go home to their family and their children. Harlots were turned into servants of God. Both these men watched all of this. They saw a little boy's sack lunch multiplied until it would have stocked every shelf, uh, at least of five different super Walmarts. There's no doubt about that. We say there were 5,000 people that were fed, but, but there were more than likely around 15, could have been upwards of 20,000 people that he fed on that day. Both those men had part in watching Jesus break that loaf of bread over and over and over and over and over again and watch that every time they would come back. There was still more bread, and yet thousands of people were being fed. Both men saw this. These two men preached the same gospel and saw hundreds turn to Christ. They were both given power over diseases and over demons. Each of them demonstrated the same dedication and faithfulness as the other ten uh, disciples of Jesus. One of them is in heaven this morning and the other one is in hell. Without doubt. The Bible is very clear about that on both of them. How is that possible? For both of those men to have seen and done the things that they did, to walk alongside of Christ in the way that they did, and for one of them to go to heaven and the other one to be burning in a devil's hell today, how is something like that even possible? As you know, one is named Peter, Peter is in heaven with the Lord, and the other one is in hell, and his name is Judas. Hey guys, both of them repented, but one's repentance sent him to heaven, and the other one's repentance sealed his fate in hell. And there is this grave danger in repenting like Judas repented. I want to talk to you about that. I want to show you how the Lord kind of laid it out for us here this morning and notice, number one, I want to talk about Judas's confession. I mean, Judas knew that Christ was being condemned. I mean, you look at the first couple of verses when you read that. Judas knew without doubt this is not going to be a good thing. Look in verses 1 and 2 again. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. We had a teacher where I, uh, in the elementary school where I um, went to school, and I uh, believe she was a fifth grade teacher. I had Mr. Mounts, and, um, 
And I thank God for Mr. Mounts simply because I didn't have Mrs. Davis. Mrs. Davis was married to Adolf Hitler. Matter of fact, when Adolf died, she took over. <laughs> Every student in the school knew that. Uh, and w I don't remember what happened, but somehow, some way, I got transferred uh, into the Gestapo hall or whatever you would call it. I, I, I had to go to Mrs. Davis's class, and I am not kidding. I was trembling and shaking, and everybody just knew not going to be a good day for Spence. I had to go to Mrs. Davis's class. When they took Jesus and bound him and led him uh, over to Pontius Pilate, the governor, you talk about a Mrs. Davis, this was not going to be a good day, and Judas knew that. It was fresh on his mind. Uh, the Jews, you know, they had a right to execute their own prisoners or people that they thought were guilty for a little while, while they were under the uh, rule of Rome. But after a while, they even took that right away from them. So they weren't allowed to execute somebody who was guilty of death. And Judas knew that. And Judas knew there's only one reason they're taking him to, to the Roman governor. And that is so that that man can die and pay for his wicked sins. So the uh, high priest would be thinking. But now something's starting to change in the heart, or at least in the mind, of Judas. This guilt begins to build up in his mind like a, a little child is stolen from his neighbor and his, his guilt just won't let him sleep. I remember one time back over at two buildings ago, 622 South Sycamore Avenue. How many of you were still with us at that time? When you walked in the glass doors of the church, you could walk straight ahead and take a left, go in the auditorium. You could go straight ahead and go down into the basement of the new building. Or you just take a little bit of a right. I think the nursery and some other classrooms and the bathrooms over here. After church one night, Amber, my, my middle daughter Candace, she might have been three, that would have made Amber one and a half. Amber could just toddle around a little bit. But I was looking for them and I couldn't find them. And, and uh, I'm like, girls, where are you at? And I walked into a Sunday school classroom. You're not going to believe this, those of you that know Candace. <laughs> yes, you will. Candace had found the candy drawer for the Sunday school teacher. You know, the teacher would give you know, a sucker or something to the kids that were good. And somehow Candace knew right where that was. And she had that drawer open and Candace had not only taken one for herself, the three-year-old, but she'd also given one to Amber. Amber's a year and a half, just toddling around. Amber doesn't know that this is a Sunday school teacher's classroom and you're not supposed to be in here. And I remember walking in that classroom and this was just Amber, all of her little years. Uh, I walked in and I said, this tone of voice, I said, what are you girls doing? Candace like, caught. And Amber, I, I didn't sound mean. I don't think I sound mean. Amber just started shaking like this. She's just trembling and shaking. She was so scared because I was asking where this came from. Must have been something about Candace's demeanor. Come on, Amber, let's sneak in here and get this stuff. I'll never forget how guilty she felt and how it began to really work on her. And Judas starts to work inside of him this guilt that, that begins to well up inside of her and or inside of him and he knows he's done something wrong it's working on his conscience and it's again it's not going to be a good day for jesus so let me say some things about the word repentance repentance certainly involves a feeling of guilt i, I mean unless you understand that you're a sinner why would you turn to a savior you understand that question 
unless you just want to join some other little social club and be a part of the church group, you know, and lots of people will do things like that. Yeah, I'll say a prayer, uh, but there's no real turning to Christ. It's just another thing that I do, a part of my religion. And so uh, repentance, though, does involve a, a sense of feeling guilt. Now, I'm going to say this quickly. Guilt is not salvation, nor is guilt repentance. But, but guilt began to work on him. Now, um, I saw Kenny. Kenny, where are you at? I saw your face hiding. There, Kenny Feist. So I, I call him up every time I start. I use this illustration and ask if I can use this. But Kenny, uh, you're saved and on your way to heaven today. Amen? Amen. But if we go back, how many years ago was that? Have you been saved how long? Almost 30 years? You were attending a revival service. Is that correct? And a guy was preaching the gospel. And I don't know, was it your first night that, you, uh, that the invitation was given? Same thing I described about those two young men gripping the pew. And Kenny was just fearful inside and sweating. And he knew something was going on. And somebody had been trying to witness to him already for several weeks prior to that at work. And he went home and never did walk down that aisle. But he went home with uh, that guilt in his heart, the, that, that godly fear working on him, realizing I'm not right with a, a holy God. But he went back the next night, and uh, the next night, same thing, same concern, and the invitation was given, and you went down the aisle. Amen. So praise God for that. I'm just saying, guilt is not salvation. And if you can sit during a church service and you can hear the facts preached that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that every one of us are deserving of a devil's hell. There's not a person in here that is, uh, is good enough in and of yourself or by your good works or by your church membership that can get anybody to heaven. And so by yourself, friend, you're on your way to hell. And when you hear that, that ought to stir something up inside of you. A feeling of the guilt of my sin that I've committed against a holy God ought to work inside of us. And it certainly had begun to work in Judas's heart. The guilt was, at least. But again, one more time, feeling guilty is far away from the, uh, from the fact that I'm actually going to turn to God. It, it's, it's a long distance from the fact that I'm actually receiving Christ as my Savior. I can sit in a pew every Sunday and feel guilty about the way I am and the way I stand before God. And so Judas's guilt was a long way from salvation. It's, it's a good thing to happen, uh, but it's not your salvation. So what does he do? He brings back this blood money that he received from them. He, he realizes, man, I've done the wrong thing. I, I should have never done this against a holy God. And I would say this as well. That's a good sign as well. Uh, a repentance that doesn't lead to some kind of action is no repentance at all. I really believe that. He begins to feel deep remorse, knowing how kind. I mean, can you imagine walking alongside of Jesus I mean, I, I look forward to the day I get to go to heaven and I finally get to see him. But can you imagine walking right alongside of him every day, every night? You're with God, the Son of God in, in human flesh. And, and he got to see everything. And all the things I described at the beginning of the message that he got to see the great power of God demonstrated. I, I mean, uh, uh, he realizes now what God had done for him and how great he really was and that he was really, really, really... a at best, a good man, and now he's very convicted about what the Roman soldiers are about to do to him, 
and the torment they're no doubt going to lay on him. And, and he starts to feel this deep remorse and guilt. And he's certainly experiencing sorrow, even a deep sense of remorse. But, everybody still with me right now? Hold your place in Matthew. I want you to flip over to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, a little bit to the right in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 7. And uh, I want you to follow along with me. I want to show you how God describes um, the kind of sorrow that leads you to God or the kind of sorrow that just makes you feel bad. And he brings that out in these verses so well. 2 Corinthians 7, drop down to verse um, 8. Everybody there? Now follow along. And here's Paul talking to these Corinthian people. This is the letter to the Corinthians. And he's, he's telling them, guys, I, I really felt bad about sending the letter because I, I knew how it was going to make you feel. So just so you know that, that's what he's talking about in verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, because he had to rebuke them a little bit for some things that were going on in the church. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle or letter hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. It just lasted for a little while. Verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, listen to this, but that you sorrowed to repentance, that it was used by God to lead you to a true repentance. For ye were made sorry, big wording here, guys, after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. I mean, you guys really, I mean, uh, it was godly sorrow. It changed your heart and it changed your actions, and, and it's, uh, it's a very godly spiritual thing. But verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Listen to this. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Wow. The sorrow of the world. That's, that's the kind of sorrow where you don't, you know, your sorrow doesn't lead you to God. You're just left sitting there with worldly sorrow. Man, I wish that had never happened. Why did I ever do something dumb like that? That kind of sorrow is just worldly sorrow. Verse 11. For behold, the selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, notice what it did to them. Um, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. All those things stirred up uh, the, the uh, vehemence against sin and, and the righteousness for the things of God. All came as a result of a godly sorrow. Now, into that verse says, in all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Now go back over to Matthew. Did Judas have sorrow? I mean, you read it right alongside of me. You see what it does say there. You can see him bringing back the 30 pieces of silver. I've sinned against innocent blood. He cast those 30 pieces of silver, of silver down. Does he have sorrow? There's no way you can say no. He obviously had sorrow. He felt bad about what he did. But um, unfortunately, his sorrow was nothing more than a worldly sorrow that Paul was talking about over there in Corinthians. Sorrow because he had gotten a good friend in trouble, yeah. Sorrow because he had betrayed someone who had been so faithful to him, sure. 
but he didn't have a godly sorrow that would cause him to turn to God and confess himself as a sinner that needed a Savior to be saved from his sin. It never brought him to that place. It was just a worldly sorrow. Man, I really feel bad about what I did. And then also notice this. Did he make a confession? Yeah, he did. Look in verses 3 and 4. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Now, who is he standing before? The chief priests and elders. Notice the confession in verse 4, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. They said, what's that to us? What's that matter to us? Basically, see that of that. That's your problem. You take care of that. So he did confess. The only problem is he confessed to man. Can everybody just look up here a minute? Let me say these things. You understand if you're going to confess your sin, who, who are you going to confess it to? Does the Bible teach we're supposed to confess our sin to a man? No way. We confess sin to God. Somebody tell me, confessing my sin to you, are you going to offer some kind of cleansing for me just because I can confess it to you? I remember a guy riding a bicycle, and it was a, a, a priest of some sort. I don't even remember which religion he was with, but he was a priest riding a bike, and on the back it looked like a little square building he was towing along behind him, and it was a confession booth. He called it his porta booth. And in, everywhere he went, if anybody needed to confess their sins and get their hearts right with God, they could confess their sins to him. Well, I have to tell you, there's good news. There's only one advocate between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. And when I confess my sin, you go straight to Jesus Christ confess I'm a sinner before God would you have mercy upon me and here he is confessing yes Judas made his confession but it was to a group of men if he had just turned upward and realized my sin is really against God and made his confession and asked for forgiveness and absolute cleansing of his heart and mind and so forth I mean rep repentance certainly involves confession first John 1 9 if we confess our sins He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but the confession is made to God and not to man. I mean, he's, poor Judas, I mean, he, he felt bad and he made a confession. All the things, lots of ingredients that are involved in godly repentance, except his wasn't a godly repentance. It wasn't a godly sorrow. It was all a worldly sorrow. Man, I feel so bad. I just don't feel right. I've had people walk out of church telling me, I'm tired of coming to your church. I remember one person in particular, and they weren't real upset about it, but they were very frank that the reason they don't like coming to our church is because at the very end, you do that thing that I just feel so guilty, and I don't want to feel guilty when I come to church. Well, it was the invitation where we give an opportunity for people to receive Christ as their Savior. I asked him if he knew Christ as his Savior. No, I don't. I don't have Christ in my heart. Well, there's a reason that guilt is there, but didn't want anything to do with it. So look at the result of Judas's repentance. Go down to verse 5. This is what's so sad. A guy that fell so short in his repentance. Verse 5, and he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Wow, 
Can I just say some things about Judas right here? And I'm going to wrap this message up right here. Look up here, if you will. So he went out and hung himself. Do you know what was wrong with Judas? Judas was the kind of guy that just worked life out for himself. If Judas had a need, he would take care of it himself. Even after he got called to be a disciple of Jesus. If he was thinking, man, my, uh, my, uh, you know, my retirement fund is pretty depleted, you know what Judas did? He just kind of skimmed off the top of the treasury bag that he held for the disciples and took money away from God himself and was stuffing it in his own pocket and using it for him. And if you remember the woman that poured uh, you know, the precious ointment on the feet of Jesus, uh, uh, Judas was all upset at her. We could have sold that and, and, and given it to the poor. And he wasn't concerned about the poor. What he was really concerned about was that now they don't get that money that he can skim off the top. The Bible says there in John 12 and verse 6, this he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag and bear what was put therein. Judas was a guy that just figured out, I can handle life on my own. I can take care of my problems. If I've got a money problem, I know how to do that. And I'll, I'll take care of that. If I have a spiritual problem, I know how to take care of that. I can handle life myself. All the way down to where he's felt so guilty about what he has done so wrong against Jesus Christ brings his money back, he's going to try to take care of this problem, this feeling of guilt inside, throws his money down, I don't want this money anymore, and the Bible said, and here he is, going to try to even take care of this guilt, he goes out and hangs himself. Interesting story, though. Uh, Hold your place here and go with me back over to Acts chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 1. I want you to see this. Acts chapter 1, here's Peter, or Judas trying to take care of his own problems still. Everybody there in Acts chapter 1? Drop down to verse 18. So uh, we can read verse 17. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. Who are we talking about now? This is Judas. Notice what happened to him when he tried to take life into his own hands. And falling headlong, while he's trying to hang himself, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Back over to Matthew. Poor Judas. Even in trying to take his own life, he messed up. Oh, he took his own life, but he wanted to hang himself. We're not exactly sure what happened. We, we think possibly he was tying a rope on a branch that was up on some high place, possibly, and that, uh, you know, when you kind of jump off of the, where you're sitting so that you can be hung, the branch broke, and he dropped down some real deep space, and uh, we don't know where it was, what exactly happened, but we do know the Bible says that when he hit the ground, his bowels gushed out. Judas always trying to trust something in this life, even in this case, a, a branch that he thought would hold him up and would uh, enable him to be hung. Even the branch broke. Judas was always trusting in things that could really never, ever hold him up in his whole life. And that was his life. He repented in the sense that he had worldly sorrow. And like I've said, 
Do I ever feel so bad that I did this against Jesus? Man, he did so many good things for us. He fed us basically for three and a half years, and and I saw all those great miracles. Man, what was I thinking? I've been really, really stupid, and I'm going to throw this money back. That's as far as it went, and that's remorse, but repentance, uh, a godly sorrow, is not just feeling bad about what you've done. It's realizing, please listen to this, it's realizing you've sinned against God I've broken the law of God, and I stand guilty before the Lord. So much so, guys, listen to this. If I died today, I realize now I would spend eternity in hell, and I would line up right alongside of people like Judas and hundreds of other people in churches that uh, turned and walked and went out the back door instead of going to an altar to get saved like the two brothers' example was. And, and guys, if you think there's somehow some way that you're going to work out your salvation, that your sorrow that you have may just be a worldly sorrow. Yeah, I, I don't feel good about my sin. Well, what have you done with that? Have you turned to God and confessed it, that I, I'm a sinner and I need a God to save my soul? And until you're willing to do that, friend, all you've got is worldly sorrow. Every Sunday you walk out of this church and still lost and on your way to hell. Why would somebody do that? Jesus is coming soon. We sing that. We talked about it. God stirred our hearts in the song service. And then and my heart was stirred when I stepped into the pulpit about the very thing that God could come back today. And if it was today, where would you go? And if you say heaven, what do you base that on? Is it based upon the fact that I have trusted Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior? I've turned to God. I confess that I am a sinner, that I can't get to heaven on my own. I need the righteousness of a holy God to wash my sin away. So I want to close this way. I'm looking across, and I think I know most of us here, even some of our guests. I know some of you. There may be one or two I'm not real sure about. And if I had to say, I would say probably... Most of us are saved, I, maybe all of us, as far as I know. But if there's someone here this morning and God's been speaking to your heart about the kind of repentance that Judas had, a repentance that really never turned to God, just feels bad about who they are, but never turns to Christ for salvation, can I challenge you this morning, like the first brother that turned and went down the aisle, would you be willing this morning, if if we could take the word of God and show you how to be saved during the invitation would you be willing to come and let us take God's word and show you the way of salvation we want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com